Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. I am your host Dr Grace Mansa Owusu. This episode is part one and showcases an event that occurred on Thursday the 15th of October 2020 and highlighted a panellist of four psychologists who had combined their psychology careers, some of them with side hustles or additional work from an entrepreneurial basis and those panellists were Deji Maxwell, Amma Amwaje, Winnie Frimpong and Kay Marine Prendergast. Keep listening to hear about their career stories and interesting insights into the world of business and how it combines with psychology and entrepreneurship. So thank you everyone for joining us this evening for another Alternative Careers in Psychology event. Uh, This is our third event so we've been holding and when I say we I mean the Black Business Psychology Network we've got a few members on the panel who are part of the Black Business Psychology Network and Alex I'll introduce them um, in a minute as well or some guests as well um, in attendance who are from the network but yeah this is our third event and the reason that these events started is mainly from speaking to other black psychologists and other non-white psychologists about how difficult or psychologists in general, actually, about how difficult it is to forge a career in psychology. We all know this. You can see um, the first and second events are actually episodes podcast. So if anyone wants to listen, I'll put the link in the chat later on. But it's really hard to actually forge a career in psychology. So we wanted to make sure people had the opportunity to listen to people who have been there and also have pivoted into other slightly different careers where they're still using their psychological skills to impact in whatever it is that they wanted to do so the first event we had people in program management we had people in user experience who had mainly studied occupational psychology but were using those skills to help them in other roles and the second event we had an actress we had a teacher we had so many people who had done psychology undergraduates or postgraduates but actually tried to use those skills in other industries and you can see that in episode two of the podcast and I'll put the link in um, and then actually it was a conversation with Winnie. Uh, so Winnie is one of our panellists uh, at a meeting that we had. And she was like, mm, let's, let's do something around psychology and entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, yeah, because a lot of people do have side, the term side hustle, I find quite irritating, side hustles or businesses that they've set up or businesses or things that they're doing outside of psychology that might not have anything to do with psychology but managed to do those things simultaneously or instead of. So this evening we have four panellists and I'll introduce them to you right now after I've introduced myself. I just forgot that I haven't done that. Um, My name is Dr Grace Mansa-Arusu. I have a PhD in organisational psychology. It was actually in business, but I looked psychology side of business and looked at career development amongst black professionals. Finished that in 2013. My undergraduate was in psychology my master's was in occupational psychology and I've worked in a variety of industries so at the moment I am working in the charity or third sector as a talent manager or a talent consultant so I look after graduate programs Um, I've worked in railway industry I've worked in education I've worked in a lot of industries Um, so that just shows where you can go with psychology it's just not one size fits all So our speakers are from also a very wide area of working. They work in lots of different areas of psychology or they trained in different areas of psychology and they're working in different areas at the moment. 
So we've got Deji Maxwell, who you'll hear first, who will introduce himself in a minute, but he'll be speaking first. And then we've got Ama Amwaje, who is also a psychology graduate um, of a fairly recent psychology graduate. I think it was last year, which is amazing. And you'll hear what she's doing. And I'm telling you right now, first of all, you'll probably buy her product. Second of all, you'll probably want to be her because I just think what she's doing is incredible. And then we've got Winnie Frempong, who is from an occupational psychology background. So she does that as well as has started a really interesting business in the area of education. And then we've got Kay Marine Prendergast, who is also an organisational psychologist, but she also has an entrepreneurial line in two different areas, which are fascinating. But I won't tell you, I won't do it. First of all, I'm going to pass it over to Deji, who will tell you all about his really interesting main job and side job. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm Deji. I am a forensic mental health practitioner. I'll explain a bit about what I do in a second, quite similar to a forensic psychologist. I'm also executive producer of a quite popular web series called Past the Meerkat. And I'm also a sound engineer and recording artist. My journey into psychology, I did very well in my GCSEs, even though I was a really kind of naughty child. And then my mum sent me off to college in Haverhill, very, very out of my area. Studied psychology for the first time and realised that I had a really massive like interest for it. And I was really good at it, like really enticed by studying human behaviour. So I studied it at A-level, did very well. Then I went on to university and studied it for my undergraduate degree. Graduated, then worked for a year as a mental health worker with a charity called Look Ahead. And then I went off to do my master's in clinical psychology. While I was doing my master's, I got an emotional well-being practitioner role in a school. And then once com I completed my master's, I went full time into that role. Did that for about three or four years and then got the role that I'm in. I wanted to get some forensic psychology experience. So applied for the role that I'm in now as a forensic mental health practitioner. I essentially do mental health assessments, interventions, consultation and training for people coming in and out of the criminal justice system. I'm on a specialist gangs post, which means I only see gang affiliated people, gang nominals aged 16 to 25, based in the borough of Southwark. Very, very interesting job, very, very niche and unorthodox, but I'm very, very good at it. On the side, I do Pass the Meerkat. So that's essentially an animated podcast, very, very similar to the Ricky Gervais show. Some of you might have seen it floating about your social media if you have Instagram or have Twitter. Um, so I'm, I'm a cast member. I'm responsible for organising that. Um, I do the sound engineering on that. So everything to do with the sound effects and just putting the sound together. And I'm also an artist as well. Got uh, a few followers and fans in the tens of thousands. So doing all right there also. Um, my aspirations for studying psychology, I've kind of already spoken about, just very interested in human behaviour. I was kind of the, the, the go-to person that people would kind of get advice off of when it comes to like people problems. So kind of a counsellor from like my college days for my, for my friends. And then I kind of wanted to make that my profession. How my side hustles came about, music's always kind of been in my heart since I was a very, very young kid. Like it used to be like, I used to get gifts, like my presents from age five were like Michael Jackson tapes and CDs and stuff. So always interested in music, like the rap, the grime, the hip hop, 
played the violin for a long time in year two. So always kind of been musically inclined. So it's always kind of been part of my life. And then Path the Meerkat just came about when I was hanging around with my friends quite a bit. And we noticed that our conversations were like really, really enjoyable, really fun. And I just kind of thought to myself, is there a way I can change this into content? It was around the time where this, we are in a time where podcasts are really popular. And I wanted to create a podcast, but I wanted it to kind of be different. Then I was watching the Ricky Gervais show and then I just got the idea to kind of make it happen. All I kind of needed was an animator. I could take care of all of the audio. Um, and that's how that was birthed. At first, I just thought it was kind of going to be like a fun way of doing a podcast with my mates, but it's actually kind of turned into like a proper web series um, with a lot of potential. So that's a, a major side hustle with mine. Do the two coincide? Well, I should say the three. Do my do psychology and my side hustles coincide? Not really, because I don't really do mental health. I don't really make mental health songs or I don't really do talk about mental health on the podcast, but definitely psychology as a whole coincides with I think everything like it really helps with like psychology is basically just understanding human behavior human mind basically and that's always going to help you when it comes to like marketing anything you're trying to do on the side so um, just knowing what people are going to like or how people are going to receive things has really kind of dictated the way I kind of do things in terms of marketing Um, so yeah they coincide in that way Um, what skills do I take from psychology into my main or side hustle again it's just about knowing what people are going to like or understanding what people are going to kind of enjoy like like my side hustles are obviously very creative so like you have to when you're doing something creative you have to make a product that of course you enjoy but other people are going to like at a very high level Um, so it's just knowing how to tweak things so people are going to enjoy that stuff Um, What advice would I give to somebody who's studying psychology and how do you think learning psychology has helped or hindered you from your main direction? I think psychology as a whole, um, in comparison to some of my friends field, which is mostly like they're mostly finance based, it gives you a bit more time and flexibility. So things like working in a school, when I worked in a school, obviously like I get a lot of, you get a lot of annual leave working in the school. So that means like a lot of free time to do stuff outside of term time. Things like that really helps. It's not as structured. Like a lot of my friends that work in the finance sector are working 100%, nine to probably six or nine to 7 p.m. And it's like, they know what they're kind of doing. And by the time they finish work, they're kind of exhausted and they don't really have time to do anything else. And then the next day is literally going to be the same thing. But with with fields in psychology it's like a lot of managing your own time like I know at the level I'm at now for like my past two three jobs I've been responsible for managing my own time and managing my own the the pressure that kind of comes to me like of course I have to do my assessments and I have to do my reports at a certain time but there's still a lot of like autonomy and a lot of self-management so when you have when you're in that position you can kind of think to yourself you know that you need to give your energy to a side hustle after work or outside of work so you can kind of manage it and then instead of seeing it as like a side hustle they both kind of become your main hustle as long as you're doing what you need doing what you need you need to do like hitting your target markers making sure your contract gets extended or or whatever you can kind of manage the pressure that kind of is put on you I think that really really helps just about I think there's a way to kind of market yourself I'm really good at marketing myself being myself on like social media which social media is a big thing now 
in kind of doing any side hustle, knowing how to market yourself on social media. I'm kind of, I'm very good at kind of being myself on social media. So I kind of incorporate my work into my social media personality because it's a big, big part of me. So I'll be like a mental health practitioner on Twitter and I'll be a rapper on Twitter and I'll also be a sound engineer and the person that creates Past the Meerkat as well. Like people have kind of allowed me to be all the separate dimensions of my personality on Twitter. And it's kind of just about putting that out there being confident to put that out there and um, being yourself. So I would say the main advice I can give is when you're studying psychology, think about, first of all, don't see one as your main hustle and your side hustle. Think about growing in both simultaneously and making sure you divide your energy between both so you can do both at a decent level that's going to allow you to grow. So don't put all your energy into your, your side hustle or your outside of work or outside of your nine to five. And don't put any, all of your energy into your nine to five, like knowing your mind that you've got to give your energy to both these things and then manage it accordingly. And then if one takes off, then you can kind of adjust how much energy you're kind of putting into one. So, yeah, that's going to be my, my main advice. And that is me. That, what I liked particularly is about how what you do is a skill. Like you have so many key skills to be able to conduct what you do on a day to day basis. And I think. A lot of people who study psychology, what we are good at is multitasking because all of our modules are so different. Um, yeah. One minute you're doing science, one minute you're doing stats, one minute you're doing sociology. Like, I'm just like, what? So I think that lends itself to generalise or having a generalisation of knowledge and yeah. also a generalised um, experience of like what you like to do. Um, and I think what Deji explained is exactly that. Yeah, yeah. So the next speaker we have is Amma. Um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Hi guys, my name is Amma. Um, I am a wellness entrepreneur. I started a brand called Planted about three months ago um, and it's pretty decent at the moment. Um, but before that, I also started a podcast called Rice at Home. Um, this was in 2017 to document my journey of how I was going to transition from psychology into business. So I'll just go into my experience with psychology so I studied psychology at a level and yeah at a level and it, I was really interested in it I absolutely loved um, everything about it I was also kind of the go-to person for advice even back then I didn't know anything back then but <laughs> people were not asking me um, and I was like to be honest I don't think there's anything else I'd like to study at university so I decided why not let's see so I studied psychology at Coventry University did all the wild modules, sports psychology. I still don't understand why <laughs> I had to do that. But <laughs> but yeah, um, I literally did everything and I fell in love with mental health. That was, um, yeah, mental health was definitely what I wanted to do. However, I think it was around my second year, half of it, I was just like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just fell out of love with the, the career side of it side of things not necessarily psychology itself but um I wanted to be a clinical psychologist I wanted to be a doctor that was that's what a lot of people actually want to do until they realize what it actually is and then they're like oh this isn't cute anymore so <laughs> I didn't think it was cute anymore so I was like okay let's figure out what I'm going to do now because I'm still in this degree but you know what's the future going to hold after graduation so I was just having a tinker to look around to see what it was out there really on the internet um, and I don't know I, I think I had a conversation um with my brother and it turns out I, I don't even think I wanted a nine to five so I was like okay probably business 
let's see what I can do there. And then I stumbled across marketing. Um, and then I was like, oh, marketing, this is a bit of me, basically the psychology of business, which is what I like to say it's like, uh, marketing is. So I, from then on, that was, yeah, 2017, I was just delving into the world of marketing. Didn't know much then, but I was just learning about it and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I decided to document how I was going to turn that into something via my podcast. So was able to grow that, I guess, just being authentic and just pushing stuff out on social media. Also, my third year of uni, I actually was working with a fellow student. Um, she had a really good, she's still running now, but she had a really awesome um, clothing brand. And I thought, let's see if I can use the skills that I learned over the summer to potentially help her grow her brand, which I did. So I was like, okay, I might be good at this. And then I just tried to see who else I can spot to help. So I was spotting people on Twitter and I actually ended up, after graduating, I ended up working at a really cool startup um, for four months, helping them build out an app. So I was basically writing, I'll tell you a little bit about the app. So the app essentially is for people with IBS, but it's a more of a mental health approach to it. The app itself is called Zemedy. It should be on the app store by now, but I was basically writing the chat bot for it so they were going to do it as if it was a conversation so chatbot speaks and you reply and then that's that sort of thing um so I wrote all of that which was pretty awesome considering I had no experience and I charged <laughs> charged a massive amount but I, I got the job done which was awesome so whilst all of this was happening I basically graduated out of psychology and did not get a job I was just trying to freelance and see what I could do see if I could potentially not get a job ever um, that didn't work out. So, <laughs> so um, September 2019, I got a sales job. Again, it's very psychology based. And I wanted to see if I could potentially persuade people into letting me recruit for them. So I did that for six months up, up until February this year. And I sadly got fired. Um, then I was like, oh, so obviously February of 2020 was just before the pandemic. So, yeah, so it was a bit of a scary time for me. I didn't really know what to do. And then that's basically how I stumbled across that my main hustle now, Planted. So I was like, if I'm going to be at home and I can't really market for people right now, I might as well grow my hair. Um, <laughs> so I basically was looking on on YouTube. I've always been a fan of natural hair. However, I haven't been taking care of my natural hair for that long. So I was just like, everyone's taking care of themselves a lot more whilst they're at home because they have the time to, because before they were pretty much neglecting themselves. So I decided to do the same, and especially with my hair. So I looked around to see what I could do to grow my hair. And I came across Ayurveda, which is like an Indian practice from 5,000 years ago using those herbs to basically heal and amplify the mind, body and soul. And I was like, okay, let's see what I can do here. So I bought a bunch of powders. I think I split the bill with my brother because he wanted to grow his beard out. <laughs> so I basically make stuff in oil. And within 10 days, I saw some crazy results. I've never, castor oil has never done that for me. So I was like screaming about it on Instagram to my personal followers. And then people were like, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's this. It has like 15 things in there. It cost me like 45 pounds. And then one person asked me, oh, could you make it for me? I'll pay you. And I was like, okay, I don't mind. So I asked, and bear in mind, I only have a thousand followers. Like I'm not that big on Instagram. I'm bigger on Twitter, but I simply asked my, my guys like, hey, anyone else want one? And I had 50 DMs and I was like, okay what do I do now? <laughs> this was very unintentional. So I basically found a place that supplies bottles. I had no branding, no logo, absolutely nothing. 
And then I basically documented those 10 days. So I actually showed people the results and another 30 people hit me up and I was like, okay, I think this is a thing that I should take advantage of at the time. Um, so I supplied all of this stuff um, within like 10, 10 days. I think I had like 80 orders from people in my DMs. And then I took a month off and I was like, okay, after that, let's actually turn this into a thing. Um, and then Planted came about. So I struggled to figure out the branding and stuff, but using my marketing background, I just pulled everything I could. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I made it into a brand which has now served well over a thousand people in the past three months worldwide, which is pretty awesome. So that is how I stumbled across my main hustle. And I think psychology tremendously helped me out because I actually went back. I, I was like, okay, this is something, this is making money, but okay, with my marketing background, I know what's the problem I'm solving here. What's actually the problem? And it was a lot deeper than I thought. Um, 80% of men by age 50 are going to tremendously lose a lot of hair. 50% of women lose like they they suffer extremely from hair loss and I know a lot of people have bad hair practices so um, I knew it was a problem Um, but I wanted to extend the brand not to be a hair brand because that's not what we are which is why I call myself a wellness entrepreneur I I think this is a wellness issue and I think this practice these ancient practices from Asia from Africa that have healed us for so long I think they should be brought back into the now especially when time where there's so many synthetic things versions of people I think we should go back to what made us humans in the first place so that's why I call it planted so I looked at all the problems I did so much research on what people were struggling with and that is the psychology side of things in order to actually build a brand that people will buy from Um, if I did not do that no one would buy from me like it's cute having a bottle in front of people's faces but if you don't know people how can you sell to them because people buy from people not from brands so that's a lot of where my, you know, my, my psychology background actually helped me out with. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to business, if you don't know people, you're not going to get far, especially since even though I did things the wrong way, what you should really do in business is actually approach starting one with a problem first and a group of people who have that problem instead of having a solution for, and then find people to get it. No, as soon as you look at the market first and see okay what are some of the problems I could solve um, and then look deeper into the groups of people so is that you know millennials who are women is that men who are when they're you know in their late 40s if you now start to look at groups of people and then with the problems then you can start to build out a brand that actually suits them and that speaks to them now I didn't know but my brand started to speak to a whole load of people so I sadly have like so many different people I have to try and communicate with at one time but I know my core people and it's like three to four core people. I know that are the, I could I could probably tell you their stories right now, but there's other people that buy from me. And I think that's really important starting out in business. Don't just jump into an idea, really validate it. Even with statistics as well, look at the market and see how many people have this problem. There's no good starting a business if there's only three people in the world that have that problem. No, if it's a large market of people, who are, you know, having that problem, try and find out how you can do it different and better. Because I know competitors are also a massive thing. Well, why would I solve it if someone else is doing it? Well, someone's missed something. And where they've missed is lack of research into the people that they're trying to solve the problem for. So the more research that you can do and the more you know your 
um, customers, the better, because you will ultimately win, especially if you're always customer first. Honestly, I think just try and find what is best for you. Um, At the end of the day, psychology is an amazing thing to learn. I still look at research papers right now. Right now, I'm studying on my own consumer psychology because obviously I'm in in business. I'm looking at trends. I'm looking at people who are, um, you know, who are suffering from even this new COVID lifestyle, there's a whole bunch of new problems that have come about. Um, this, this is a whole new thing. And this is actually the best time to start a business, which I think I've proven, but just for anyone else, because with chaos comes opportunity. Um, there's a whole bunch of problems that come out. People are actively speaking their problems on social media as well. Um, and oh yeah, let me give some tips on where to actually find these people. Like, to do market research so I, I use reddit so there's like loads of groups on reddit facebook twitter twitter is the number one place people just scream their problems all the time literally you can just type in some keywords reddit join some groups facebook join some groups look at what people are saying what they're struggling with whether it's mothers um, or parents homeschooling whether it's any wellness problems that has shot up massively and skincare health fitness um any wellness category to be honest that's just massive so I as I say definitely take advantage of all the opportunities that are happening right now um, and this new way of life that's coming in because um, it's not going to go away so might as well build something out of it and I I don't see any problem starting a business because I think they all you're doing is just serving others that's it you get paid to serve others um, so why not be the person who birthed that yeah explore different sides of psychology because I didn't know um, I was actually going to probably do business psychology if I didn't um, stop because <laughs> it was so interesting. I love that module so much. Seeing you can how, still do it. Yeah. It's not too late. <laughs> I'll see. Probably not. I, actually, I could do it for a win to be fair. But um, it's really interesting how organizations, if they're built right, you know, and people who actually care. I was in an organization that did not care about people. And it definitely showed in results and in everything. And it's such a, a beautiful skill and such a beautiful thing to know just because if you know people and you literally, we are a people world, the better you know people, the better you can have better relationships. It, it literally goes into every corner of your life, not even just like a career um, or uh, starting a business. Yeah, that's all I have. No, honestly, both you and Deji, when you were talking, like, I was literally writing notes both times, like, right problem what's the target audience I felt like everything you were both saying is so spot on and this is where I wanted to do this event because people think you study something and then you have to stick to it or you can only do that and that is not the case and Amma clearly has a natural affinity to first of all being curious and a lot of people who study psychology are drawn to it because they're curious and they're interested in people and I think the brand speaks to that like what it does and how it enhances people's lives people think oh it's just hair it's not just hair it's not just skin it's your it's how you express yourself and how you feel about yourself exactly and it's just fascinating like the speed in which Emma decided to do this like one minute I saw Emma the next minute I see planted with beautifully branded product website I saw the website I was like how did she do this so fast and it was slick (laughs) did you do it yourself yeah 
Oh my gosh. So it's Shopify, few, guys. Shopify. A lot of people in the <laughs> chat were like, what is this website? I need to find it. So it's already, the link is already in there. Um, and also, Deji, feel free to put Parsamika and all your other stuff in there because I know people are going to try and find you on Twitter. It's a very interesting place, Twitter. Deji and Amma's Twitter is, if you want entertainment during this lockdown, definitely both of them. So thank you for sharing. And I think also there are master's programs, if people are interested, not, not for you, Amma, but there are master's programs in consumer psychology. So if people wanted to go in down that route and have a bit more structure in their learning, you can pursue that way. So it kind of is an open door into kind of marketing, marketing and people hire people like this. What I also oh, found- yeah, really you can get big money. Big. What big I find interesting money, is guys, that you were doing in there. <laughs> before you even, you were like, yeah, pay me to write this chatbot, which I think is hysterical. What are you going to lose? I need the money, so why not? <laughs> and how did you do well. that? How did you write the chatbot? Okay, so I think I missed this out. So basically, I also studied like how to write properly in order to make people make people act the way I wanted them to act that sounds so cynical but it's called copywriting basically but okay, yeah, <laughs> um yeah so I I was a direct response um copywriter I was studying that as well like throughout my unemployed days um still am um but that helped me to be able to write in a way where people can actually do as I want them to so if I say by now you will by now because I've made you do that but because I know you and that's what I mean by you have to know your customers because if you do not know your customers you can't write in a way where they will actually act the way you want them to because at the end of the day it's not nothing cynical you want them to buy your product because they need it it's not because they don't they do especially if it's a ethical product as well so all you need to do is that and that communication is really lost and it's really a struggle for a lot of businesses because they have amazing products they just don't know how to communicate in order to get the sales and in order to get, um, you know, the products into the hands that need them. So, yeah, direct response copywriting is what I did. I and basically, um, I reached out. No, he reached out to me, the, the founder. And then I basically told him what I do, showed him my portfolio. And he was like, OK, yeah. And then I said a crazy number and he said yes. And I said, well, OK. <laughs> Brilliant. Honestly, I just think that the lessons both of your lessons are so interesting if you've got an idea obviously research it but don't let yourself feel like oh I don't have any knowledge because you probably have more knowledge than the person that's asking you to do it because they wouldn't ask you to do it if they knew how to do it themselves or they know how to do it themselves exactly. they don't want to do it themselves they want you to do it and, and that's the point willing to pay you, so. yeah they are a human behavior we know this like people turn up late that unless they're incentivized, they're not going to do it. And this is where the psychology comes in. Like, if they don't want to do it themselves, why are they going to pay you to do it? So, exactly. excellent, excellent. And again, put all your details into the chat. I'm sure people are hitting you up on LinkedIn. <laughs> I definitely, I think I will, but I think I need a <laughs> masterclass actually after that. Okay, brilliant. Okay, our next speaker, right. Our next speaker is Winnie Frimpong. And Winnie has got a really interesting story as well. I can empathise with her career past <laughs> and I won't say any more but there's some similarities between what Winnie has done and what I have done she is an organizational psychologist as well as an educational entrepreneur so I'll let you'll let her explain what that is and what she does well thanks for having me and thanks everyone for showing out to hear about us 
and what we do. I guess what Deji and Emma have done are so interesting. Hopefully you're still awake uh, to hear what I'm saying about what I do. I'm sure it is. Uh, so I basically um, did my undergrad at Brunel and studied psychology, but it was the placement uh, thin sandwich course. So you had three years of the undergrad and one year of a placement. So I took that placement um, and worked in a mental health facility, didn't really like it, and then decided to explore educational psychology because I thought, you know, that was more closer to something that I may have wanted to do in psychology. I ended up working in a school as a teaching assistant because I think I was researching stress um, in schools at the time. Once I was there, I also realised that I actually didn't want to become an educational psychologist, but I was actually quite good with the kids. And I guess the, the, the link there for me was also the fact that I enjoyed developmental psychology and really understood this and this aspect of play and how play um, influences how kids learn etc and if you think about how especially English schools are set up play kind of ends at reception more or less year one by the time they start doing the sats in year two the fun is out like it's serious business kind of thing a lot of our African parents may say we actually are in that serious at school but if you think about the you know, psychology behind it, play actually influences a lot of our learning, engagement, et cetera. So I really liked this and I tried to convey that in how I was, I was helping the teachers at school and, and to, to some extent helping with that stress um, thesis I was writing about. So knowing that I was good at that, uh, I started looking for part-time jobs because I came from Italy. I didn't get the maintenance loan. I had to pay for my rent, et cetera. So I had to find something to do and, and then use those skills that I had gained as a teaching assistant in private tutoring. So I, um, I started working as a tutor in a place that I can't remember. I think it's called the Learning Centre in Southall, I think. It was, yeah, it was quite interesting because the lady who was running the centre didn't really have any educational background. So very quickly, I started introducing new things that, again, I had learned from psychology and then eventually became the assistant manager of that facility until I finished uni. Alongside that, I was also doing other things on campus. So I was, I was doing the mentoring stuff, senior mentoring, residences, etc. Um, and I mentioned all of that because it kind of enhanced my skills in what I'm currently doing now, which is, again, private tutoring, but also training tutors now um, in, in this area that we're in. Um, so after uni, I didn't know what to do with my degree. I knew what I didn't want to do, which was clinical and educational. So I basically ended up working at Explore Learning, which is the link that Grace is talking about. I worked there as an assistant director, realized that things just weren't, you know, business-wise what I thought they could be or they could be improved. So looking back at what I could do in psychology, I thought, you know, business psychology would be the best thing to do. So I stopped working um, that full-time job and um, went back to uni. Again, you know, once you leave uh, the undergrad world, you're basically an adult and you need to fend for yourself. So I left that job not really having a lot of money to rely on. And again, found myself having to do a part-time job and that's when I picked up tutoring again. 
what I realised was that a lot of parents, you know, see tutoring as something as a means to an end for, say, uh, test taking, etc. But what I branded myself as um, was someone who had the psychology background and could do, you know, the assessment properly, but also make the lessons fun enough that beyond the test taken, I was still sort of fostering an educational relationship with the kids. So most of the kids that I've worked with, I've worked with for about three to four years consistently, simply because for me, it was a relationship um, that they had to build with with learning and enjoying that learning. Uh, So again, in terms of what I do with psychology, I would incorporate uh, a lot of game-based activities, a lot of, again, African parents may frown on this, but just even using something like um, an iPad and ensuring that the kids use an emoji, for example, it's just something that is a little bit different from what they do in the classroom, but ensures that they are learning in a fun way at the end of the lesson. Again, because I know that in training or in the training cycle, we want to check for learning transfer, I'd incorporate all of those type of measures in to ensure that the kids were learning. So I've been able to do that successfully um, in that I've built a really big clientele out of that. Um, and that's what, you know, my main side hassle from my uh, oc psych job is or my occupational psychology uh, job is. Um, come 2020, obviously, um, things have now moved online. And what I found was that um, organisations who had who were in the private tutoring business that had uh, tutors train people, uh, tutors teach kids, um, didn't have tutors who could then transfer those kid, those skills online. Or you had people who wanted to pick up tutoring, um, but didn't know whether they had the skills for it, if they could engage the kids online. Um, so I basically, again, taken uh, knowledge of, you know, the training um, aspects of occupational psychology and put together a package for, you know, friends who wanted to pick up tutoring jobs, um, ensure that they shadow me, um, they pay me, obviously, to train them, and then um, they get clients or I give them clients um, and then take a commission of it. It's a one-off commission, so I'm not feeding off my friends. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, a second thing that I'm doing. And then I guess uh, more recently, I've been looking into um, just helping people in the Black community, more specifically uh, in the Ghanaian community with finances as well and understanding how, you know, human behaviour impacts the decisions that we make So most of us may be very familiar with the fact that we tend to seek our parents' advice and opinions, etc. And most times it would impact us financially. Um, some of us go to church, we pay things like tithe, etc. How does that fit into our financial goals? So I'm not saying don't pay it, I'm saying make an account of it, etc. Um, but I'm just using my knowledge of, um, you know, human behavior and the knowledge of psychology behind how we make decisions um, that I again gained from 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 what I've studied undergrad and um, graduate wise to um, support friends so mostly what I do is um, just have an accountability check make sure that they are you know um, writing down their income expenses etc areas where they may be able to actually break away from that mold of 
you know, parental um, influence, etc. Um, and I'm thinking of making that into a more um, structured business. So that's that's something else which I thought will be interesting in terms of you know how psychology is applied to things that may not necessarily be shouting out psychology, but um, you can you can hone your skills in other areas to do. I think mine has been incredibly short. I don't know what I've missed. Question four: What advice would I give? Um, for me, I think really understanding what your skill sets are, skills and competencies when you go for job interviews, there are things that people would ask you about. So as Deji said, he knows how to sell himself, sell yourself to yourself. I'm good at talking to people. I'm good at connecting with children. I'm good at understanding what makes them tick to some degree. How can I capitalize on that? And that's exactly what I did. You know, of course, I had that help from the placement centre, working in the school, etc. But everything that I've done from that is basically enhancing those skills that I gained there to ensure that I could both, you know, do it in my actual job and as a side hustle. Um, I'd also say promote uh, yeah, have a have a good networking um, unit. So if it's LinkedIn, if it's Twitter, um, ensure that you're you're growing your social capital because those are the people who would first of all promote you. But you may also gain um, some insight into what people are doing um, and and understand where you can maybe insert yourself. So you've come to this um, to this event add people on LinkedIn, text them after, um, just try and find out what, what you could do, partner up with someone, um, but don't put yourself in a box where you're only going for a specific career. I mean, if that career is in psychology is going to be as fulfilling, fulfilling as you want it to be, then that's fine. But what I find is that vocationally, people have other interests that lie outside of what they've studied and because of financial reasons they find themselves in one trajectory and that's fine but outside of it you can still hone those interests by looking at other things and it doesn't have to be an interest that brings you a thousand pounds a month it could be something that brings you 50 pounds a month and that's still something that can you know fulfill that interest until you build it up for it to become your main business i'm all about side hustles i think as a black community we we do have like we need that element of innovation and creativity and and just you know investing in ourselves etc so think about it but speaking specifically about you know what we can do, I think, yeah, build those skills, be, be knowledgeable about them and then build your social capital. And that's me. No, it's fine. Thank you so much, Winnie. I think everything you said as well is really resonated with me. And the part that I really liked was around you branching the tutoring. I didn't know you were like training tutors as well. I was like, ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. And on like a commission basis, mm-hmm. getting them clients as well so they can set themselves up. So it's kind of a bit of a franchise model, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as doing those, well, it's financial psychology and financial education talks. And I think there's a massive taboo like around talking about money. It's really uncomfortable 
not just in the black community and a lot of communities I see it's even in like the white British community like people don't talk about money and I remember one time a friend of mine who's uh, like half English half Italian she's working with me and she was like wanted to understand her payslip so she talked to her housemate and she showed him her payslip and she's like I don't understand why like English people are so hung up about money and secrecy about money and how much they're getting paid we don't do that in Italy and I was like no you're right because you, you'd never go to someone and be like this is my pace <laughs> how much are you yeah. earning but like yeah. that, that conversation is not open and this is where we're yeah. getting a lot of issues with the gender pay gap and the ethnicity pay gap because people are not talking about how much they're earning they're just out there flossing on Instagram and you think they're earning big money but everything's rented not all the time sometimes it's legit but um yeah like talking about money and being comfortable educating people not just about money but just about everything is really mm. important and I also um, understand around the first couple of talks that we've done it's not a surprise a lot of people are like oh I really wanted to go into clinical and then I was like no I didn't want to do it anymore and I think that is a story I hit over and over again either the barriers to clinical psychology and a lot of other areas of psychology are so high um it's a bit of a slog and especially yeah. if you don't have the people at hand to talk to and I'll talk to you later about different networks that you can access to help you do that in the last year these organizations have sprung up so if you ever need any help going into those areas just put it in the chat but thank you so much for sharing your story Winnie if anyone needs any tutoring anyone got any kids siblings needs tutoring Winnie's a girl please go to her she's really good she's got the patience that I don't have that's why I'm not a like that but you could do it for yourself there you go and then get that out of the way maybe one day I'll come to you if I need help <laughs> all right our last speaker but not least is Kay Marine Prendergast and again really interesting story about how she got to where she is now she's also an occupational psychologist she's also a member of the Black Business Psychology Network as is Winnie as is one of our uh, guests or people in the audience. So Kay, can you please let us know about your story? So I, Grace said I'm a business psychologist. I'm also an executive coach and my story is not as well thought out. So <laughs> I didn't want to study psychology initially. I started, I wanted to do fashion design and my mother is Jamaican and I was told that that's not a proper career so I don't know if anyone else has had the experience I wanted to do dance GCSE and I wanted to do fashion and textiles and I was told that that's not a real job that's not a proper career then I I did end up I kind of pushed because I was quite a stubborn child I was naughty listening to Deji I was I was naughty I was really rebellious for a, a, and a another thing as well is for a girl child you're very you know you don't act like a girl and I'm like okay all right mom I'm not a girl then I'm a boy but so I'm not from the UK. I was born in Jamaica and I came here um, when I was nearly nine years old. So coming from Jamaica, being in private school, being that kind of strict environment and then coming here, I was like, oh, my God, they make you paint in class. I was so amazed that you could paint in a classroom. And that kind of shaped me to be quite wild. But anyway, so I'll fast forward to how I got into psychology. I um, initially started studying fashion at London College, London College of Fashion. And I remember getting a place there because I did really well in my textile GCSEs, which I did push for. I didn't get to do the dance one, but I pushed for the textiles because my mum was like, no. Anywho, when I started um, doing that 
And it's so funny because it will, I'll tell you how that shaped my experiences. When I kind of started doing my fashion college, there wasn't anyone else that was black. So it was me and probably like maybe one other person. And it was like a really prestigious college and it was great. But I didn't at the time, I wasn't aware of it. And there was one kind of black lecturer and she was great. And I would always ask her questions, but it was very, I don't know, just it was a bit standoffish. Anyway, long story short, I was falling behind in the work and I needed some support from her. And I went and she wasn't really helpful. And I was so far behind, I think I just kind of dropped out. So I dropped out of college. And then my mum said to me, <laughs> I was not doing anything. So I was 17 at the time, just literally going out with my friends. And my mum said to me, it's either you get a job or you go to uni, or you're not living in this house. So I was exploring. And this is how my mum is. She's very strict, very strict Jamaican parent. And I was really kind of exploring what kind of things I was interested in. And I think by then my confidence had been knocked and I didn't really go back into looking at another fashion kind of course because that was one of the in terms of the top level you aspire to go to London College of Fashion and then my friend of mine she was going to go and study she was doing psychology A level and I just was like oh, I'm not really interested in any of that but I thought well I do need some A levels so I went and I did my A levels and I did English A levels and I did Spanish and I got quite good grades but I never did psychology and I literally spent a whole year before applying to uni. I didn't apply to uni, didn't do anything. And I said to my mum, I wanted to do gap year and was told that, you know, you're black, you're not going on a gap year. What do you, who do you think you are? This is my mum. I'm being candidly honest. And so I didn't get to go on my gap year. And then I was kind of left in a place where I didn't have any place at uni, didn't know what I was going to do. So I was like, right, I'm going to go and work. And then, you know, my mum, again, she's been a big influence in my life. She just said, you know, it's, if you work, you're never going to go to uni. And I did want a degree and I did want qualifications, proper formal qualifications. I just wasn't sure. And I literally just applied for the nearest thing, which is what my friend was doing, because I was like, oh, we go to uni together. And I literally applied. I did applied psychology at London Met. But when I started the course, I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love all of these different subjects. I loved all of the, I did abnormal psychology. I chose modules like brain and behavior because I was just so fascinated. And I found that, you know, I really had a passion for it. And I also wanted to be a clinical psychologist because I was like, I'm going to help people and it's going to be great. And then when I um, watched a case study, year two, I watched a case study about what it entails to be like a clinical psychologist. And then all of the barriers and how long and difficult it was. And I was just thinking, yeah, this is not really me. And I don't really want to spend my days writing. I felt like I do a lot of writing research proposals as opposed to doing actual work before I had to do that, a lot of that before I actually got to do work. And I'm very active. I'm a very active learner. So I didn't really want to do that. And then I was thinking, oh, just like Winnie, I would go into education because, you know, I like the aspect of, you know, working in educational psychology. And I too was also interested in developmental psychology. And then when I had, they had like these careers talk and I got to speak to some people that were educational psychologists. And I was just like, oh my God, have I just done a degree that I'm not going to use because I don't want to do any of this. And then one of my lecturers, I remember, he said to me, you know, have you explored occupational psychology? And I was just like, oh, what's that? Because it wasn't a module and he, until the third year. And he said, you know, it's really great. Have a look into it. So I, you know, 
they brought some people in that was really good and they gave us careers talks and I asked a lot of questions and I remember one of the consultants and this is what made me go down that route he said you know he gets paid on a day rate and he gets he works independently and he can work anywhere in the world and he gets paid on a day rate so it's quite lucrative but the, the best part of it was the freedom to not just be one job because I'm not a person to just I can't do the nine to five and I find it boring and I, I, what will happen is I will do things that will derail me. So I wanted something that would allow me to have that variety and be able to really use my skills as a psychologist. So I started exploring and what I needed. I did that, I finished um, my undergrad and the plan was to do a master's straight away. That didn't really happen because of financial reasons. So when I was going to uni, I worked throughout and I was living on my own as well midway through. So living with a friend rather. So we had, we needed money. And I was just kind of doing hair and makeup for people in uni because I was known to be good at that. And I always did hair anyway. And I remember just thinking back to where I, how I got to now. When I was in school, all the girls in my school, they smoked. They smoked by, yes, by year 10 and 11, all the girls were smoking. So I remember going to the shop and using my pocket money and buying like matches, lighters, chewing gum, spray to sell because I knew that they would need that so that they wouldn't get into trouble and I would be making like at you know 15 30 pounds 40 pounds a week and I'd be using that to just kind of save and then um go go raving well not raving at that age but just like go to like you know under 18 parties that I wasn't my mum would say oh we're not giving you money to go to and I'd be like well it's all right because I have it and she would then accuse me of doing something because I grew up in southeast London when I came to the UK. So, you know, you always get that accusation of doing something wrong. Anywho, I so I was doing hair. I was doing hair. I was putting in for the black girls on the call, putting in tracks. I was doing weave. I was styling hair. I was doing makeup. And that was supplementing me quite nicely throughout uni. When I finished uni, I never ever thought of it as a business. It was just like a side thing to get money whilst I kind of focus on my psychology career. And I had to then just take a job because of money for you know any job. And it literally, I was trying to get psychology jobs, psychology internships, and it just didn't ever really work out for me. And I would get them and I would go there and I'd think, oh, I don't really like it. And I'd stay for a bit and then I would want to change roles. And then I've had a few bad experiences which I'm not going to really talk about because I don't think that we need to go into that but it shaped my kind of trajectory so I was focused on becoming a chartered occupational psychologist and I knew what I needed to do so I was very kind of linear I'm going to do the masters get the training get chartered and bam I'm going to be a psychologist but I was always interested in the hair the beauty or the other things outside so when um so I went to work and I did kind of first role was in kind of job brokering and it was helping people that were long-term unemployed into work and we kind of designed training run training and then I met a psychologist we had an occupational psychologist there and he was a black man he was just basically say, encouraging me to apply for the master's encouraging me to do it because he, he I know what he did specifically was he coached the clients that we worked with and I also was very interested in that because I think I talk a lot and I'm quite personable. So I was thinking, oh, I'll be quite good at coaching. And I was exploring these different things. And then I had a baby, which wasn't planned. It was a lovely, unexpected surprise. I got pregnant and then I was like, oh, I had to put everything on hold. So I was 25 at the time. And I had my daughter when I was 26. 
I'm giving away my age now, but she came along and I was just like, I'm a mummy. I'm going to do all these baking things from scratch. And I did do all of that because I'm quite like that. But then I got bored. Not that I got bored of being a mum, but I got bored of being at home because it's just, I, I like to be active. And then I thought, you know, this would be a good time to do a master's. So I started my master's degree when my daughter was one years old, just over one years old. And when I look back, I was crazy to do that because I was, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. And I had a lot of guilt about, so it, my rationale was I will do the master's because that will boost my earning potential and that will help me to get closer to my career goals. And this is the only time I'm going to get to do it because she's a baby and I'm not going to be able to do it if I have to do school runs. And then in the middle of that, I um, became a single mum, which wasn't expected at all. And, you know, I had to kind of pivot and think, all right, am I going to drop out? I was going for a lot or am I going to continue? So I continued and I was, so I was working part-time studying a master's part-time and raising a one and a half year old at that time, which was, I don't know how I did it. I remember in periods of studying for the master's, I remember one, when it was an exam, she had chickenpox. I am um, collapsed from stress and exhaustion and I had to be hospitalized for four days. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I need to sleep a little bit more. But it was very, very tough. And I just, I never ever thought, oh, I'm going to quit or I'm going to stop this. I was just like, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. I want to be a psychologist. And then what inspired me as well is there wasn't many black female occupational psychologists at the time. There's still, there's more, but, you know, I actually, in my head was that like, I'm going to be one of the first and I'm going to help more people to come up. And I mean, I didn't expect the kind of challenges that I did face when I graduated. So when I graduated, it was twofold. There was a recession, so the last recession, and it was really difficult to get jobs. And then I didn't know at the time that when you say to someone and you're talking, I didn't know how to showcase myself. And I'd be like, you know, I would like a job and I, I'm, I'm applying to this role because I think that your company, you know, policies are great and it allows me to have that flexibility of meeting my parental commitments and working. And I didn't know that they would use that to be a way to not give you the job. They're not saying that, but basically what would happen is I would, I would get the interviews, but then I wouldn't get the jobs and I would have these kind of excuses. And I'm like, that's not giving me any tangible feedback that I can work with to improve myself. But I spoke to a recruiter and it was due to me telling them that I'm a parent and I was advised to not tell them that I'm a parent until I got the contract. And I did that out, you know, worrying that I wouldn't get roles. I got the roles, but then when I got there, I was expected to work really long hours. And my first kind of role in psychology was around assessment and development. And I didn't, it was just hard. It was really hard. I think I'm going off on a tangent, but what, made me kind of go down the route that I did. When I abandoned my clinical psychology aspirations and then I realized how hard it was to be a clinical psychologist, occupational psychologist and have a child, I needed something that would make me money but allow me to have that flexibility to raise my child. So I was thinking, all right, what am I good at? What can I do? And at the time I had just moved to Kent, there were so many kind of people around that I could see really bad hair extensions in. And I was thinking, oh, I could fit these. And I'd make money and I literally just printed some flyers and I just handed them out and I was like I can do they call it LA weave up here but it's tracking LA weave I can do makeup I can do these things and I had like a steady stream of clients and it was so busy 
and I would outsource the work. So I had two hairdressers that I worked with that I, you know, would take a commission and I would outsource the work because at the same time, concurrently, I was trying to get like a full-time psychology role, but I was also freelancing doing assessment. Because So anyone that's at Oxide knows that if you can't get a role, your bread and butter is assessment and development. Assessment and development. You always get assessor work if you know how to, if you have level A and B and you know how to assess, you'll get assessment work. So I was doing assessments. I went to Dubai, I got an opportunity to go and assess in Dubai. My mum looked after my daughter for me. But at the same time, my business was running. And then I was like, you know, what? actually, I need to actually maybe make this a proper business. So I have an online hair extension shop, which I hosted on Shopify. And before I used Shopify, I used WordPress, which was, I don't, I'm not a tech person. I didn't know how to do that. And with WordPress, you have to know how to update the plugins and whatever they're called and I had a designer that was doing it for me and it was it was costing me quite a lot and then it was going really good so my business was going really really good and I think I'm talking about my challenges because I want people to understand my business was making money I was going on holidays I was enjoying I love my holidays if you know me personally I love my holidays and I feel that even though my child is in a lone parent household I don't want her to feel like she's in a lone parent household I feel like now she's a teenager, it's come to a detriment because she's quite spoiled. But I definitely had that vision in that I don't want her to feel like she's in a lone parent household. So before the age of, before she even got her proper passport, second passport, my child had been to like five different countries. Africa and India were two of them. So we like our holidays. But what happened was my dad passed away suddenly, who I'm very close to, in 2015. And that kind of made me just not really concentrate on the business and then I wasn't really doing well in the business but I was kind of starting to do really well in psychology and then I went to work for a few different organizations and I did a few things so one of the organizations I went to work for I learned how to assess for dyslexia which was something really important to me because I when I was 28 got this diagnosed with dyslexia even though then it got re-diagnosed it's not dyslexia it's ADHD so that's when I was like oh that makes sense why I'm interested in about 60 different things all at once and I can do them really well because I'm able to as Grace said multitask as a psychologist and then that made me want to work with other people in that kind of neurodiverse space because I really wanted to, to understand I was like right so I've got all this time through life not knowing how many other people are out there? How can I help them? And so that's how so was the coaching really kind of developed for me. So it was twofold. So <laughs> at the time now, so I'm working as a psychologist. The hair business is going. My daughter's there. And I'm also coaching private clients as well. And I specifically wanted to help the BAME community. I hate the word BAME. But I, I specifically wanted to help Black and Asian people because I wanted to help that that group because I feel like we don't have enough help and, and support in certain areas and I also felt like I had a lot that I could insights that I could give on the journey and I was also getting a lot of people asking me you know how did you get into this field what did you do what were some of the challenges so I kind of do so now the skills that I use so I had to learn marketing I'm not a marketer but I had to learn marketing and when I started learning it I was like okay so this is like psychology of understanding how to sell and psychology of understanding how to sell things that people want. So I use my psychology skills to help me to market my businesses in terms of what they want. So I know that if a person's looking for a coach and they want to work with me, they're 
specifically from a certain group and I'm solving a problem that they have, which is that they're probably experiencing. So I work specifically to help BME professionals to navigate racism in the organization and progress in their career. So I do a lot of coaching, career coaching, but I combine it with a method of coaching, a, a method called clean language, which is a framework that you use. And I, I did a workshop on that in summer to help people that are experiencing racism and microaggressions in the workplace to communicate and have those difficult conversations with their employers in a way that their experience isn't invalidated and denied. And that's because research shows that when you're experiencing these things in the organization, you are more likely to not progress in your career, abandon career goals, have really kind of adverse impacts in terms of anxiety and depression. And I know I have experienced many of these different things throughout my career trajectory from graduating to now. And I thought, well, you know, if I had this kind of help or I had somebody here to kind of show me the way, maybe I wouldn't have really gone down some of the paths that I did. So I also use these training. So when you learn to, to design and deliver training as an occupational psychologist, I use that to design and deliver training on makeup classes. So I would have on a Monday prior to COVID, people would pay me and they pay the right money to come on a training course to learn how to do their own makeup. Not none of these Instagram girls that I can do that as well, but they you see of like professional women that have professional engagements and can't afford to pay 70 pounds, 60 pounds a time to get their makeup done, but they want to know how to look professional, how, what baking is, how to not look oily on screen. And those are things that I would teach. And I designed like a training course and kind of follow-up materials and packs that I would send out. So I'd have those on a Monday. So that allowed me to work from home. And then I would be doing my kind of assessment stuff here. And then it got to stage where I got kind of bored of psychology just because, not bored of it, I still love it, but it's just the challenges that we face in the BME community navigating through the world of psychology. I just got to stage where I got fed up and I just thought, well, why do I have to, why must I go through this? I've got these qualifications and skills. I might as well just use them for something that's going to be more lucrative and it's going to benefit others because I get to a stage and it's like I'm stuck because of this. There's certain barriers which you will learn and yourself when you go through these, these, this um, profession. But I use my psychology skills as well to assess suppliers. So there's a lot of, I have suppliers in, for my hair extension business. So I have an online hair extension store. It's called Celebrity Main and it's hosted on Shopping. I will put it in the chat in a minute. And I, I sell ethically sourced human hair extensions. So they're premium quality. They're ethically sourced in that none of the hair that I sell comes from people that are exploited or trafficked. And that is a big thing in the hair industry that people are not aware of. So a lot of the donors that donate their hair, sometimes they're young girls, they don't want to donate their hair, but they may be forced to do that because of poverty, or they may be unfortunately being coerced to do it because they're in some kind of trafficking ring. And I definitely did a lot of research around this and I only work with selected suppliers in India, Malaysia and Vietnam a little bit in China, but not so much. And I can trace every single thing. And that's kind of my whole ideas behind the brand. I, when the suppliers, some suppliers that wanted to work with me, I needed to really assess who I was really getting into business with because I'm going to be giving them quite a lot of money. You buy bulk stock. I don't, I've had people, I've had, I've lost money. I've had suppliers run off with money and I've had a lot of things. So I use my skills as an assessor 
to do behavioural assessments to really kind of screen who I work with to make sure that they're telling me the truth, that they're not just pretending that their stuff is ethically sourced. They can show me, you know, they can give me, answer the questions that I'm asking. But I find that learning to run, run my own business, learning to market my own business, learning to showcase my skills has really helped me as a psychologist. And it's helped me to be a much more strategic in my career as a psychologist now, whereas before I don't think I was, I think I was just kind of taking things as they come along out of survival, whereas now I'm very strategic. I don't take certain roles. I'm very intentional in what I, who I work for. And if they don't kind of um, align with my values, I won't work with them. And I can sell myself, I think, quite well when I speak to a client in terms of really explaining the benefits and the value that I offer which is what I learned from doing marketing courses and from running a business because you have to tell that you have to you have to sell a benefit so as you said people buy into people they don't really buy into what you're selling because there's a million hair sellers out there there's a million other kind of online stores that are doing different things and I'm not I'm not for everyone I'm for select certain people and I know what their pain points are and I know what they're that what they're looking for they're professional busy women busy mums that don't have time to be Instagram on fleek and gluing hair and whatever I'm selling you glueless high premium quality that you can take into your professional organization I'm not knocking from any of those because they're great but that's who I'm for and really understanding using my skills as a psychologist and blending the two has really helped me my advice to give to anyone studying psychology is you need mentors, you need coaches and you need networks. You absolutely need a coach. If you're just starting out, even if you think, oh, I don't have any skills. If I had a coach, when I had just graduated from my master's, I would be like, I would have my boat by now and I would have my Lamborghini. And I'm not even joking, I'm being deadly serious because coaching really helps to align your focus so that you work in a strategic way towards what you need to do so if you haven't ever had it get career coaching grace is fantastic but get career coaching the second thing is mentors you need mentors but mentors is a bit more you need to be a bit more don't just get a mentor because they're a brand name get a mentor that you have a good rapport with that you you have you can see similarities in and you look at them and you think you know what oh my god they're so amazing like I don't ever get in awe of anyone but I have two people right now one person that I was just like oh my god he's amazing he's amazing like everything he does and he's helpful but I would have never thought to go and seek a mentor before as I said I would be more strategic now because there was there's not that many um black and Asian psychologists as well and I definitely wanted to have a black or an Asian mentor and the person that I wanted to have as a mentor unfortunately she when I reached out to her she she's the one who inspired me to want to be one of the kind of black um chartered psychologists she had had such a bad experience with the kind of BPS and HPC she she doesn't work as a psychologist anymore she's like I can't mentor you and I was really heartbroken because she she's amazing and it's important to really look at who you look at your career, look at and decide what it is do I want to be known for? What it is do I want to be doing every single day? And really try and see if you can network with similar people that are above you and ahead of you, because they can tell you things that you wouldn't necessarily know until you go through it so that you can avoid mistakes and definitely be on networks. You need a network. Like until I met Grace, I definitely didn't 
I used to think some of the things that I went through was definitely just me and because of my personality I'm very outspoken I'm very fiery and I used to think oh if maybe if I was a bit more you know this way a bit more that way certain things would come to me more but actually no when you when I was on this net met grace on the net black psychology network I was like oh okay it's not just me it's like lots of different people with lots of different personality types that are having a similar experience but that is also good because you then feel empowered because you have a collective of people that can support you but then you can bounce ideas off us as well so that (laughs) thank you so much like we've already had some comments in the chat saying like, I didn't even know a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, Kay, and we've been friends for some years, so I learned a lot myself. And um, um, yeah, <laughs> I went through a lot, you know. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think I, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me was around the master's year, like maybe I was mad. Yeah, you probably were. Part-time master's, part-time job, one and a half year old. I didn't have a child when I did my um, MSc in occupational psychology, but I'm telling you, it was probably, I was the brokest I've ever been. Like I didn't have any money. And I was on the edge of a few things. And I don't know how I did it. And I didn't have a child and I wasn't a single parent. So that is incredible. And all of the side hustles. And another point that I really liked was the selling, the selling of the, the air freshener, chewing gum, matches and lighters in the, in the <laughs> playground. And every single person I speak to that's an entrepreneur, this is where they started. Like, I know, Lord Alan Sugar, he was selling things out of a van when he was 16. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's so many people that know people. That is the grassroots of it. And this is where you know that it's part of people's personality. It's not for everybody. Entrepreneurship is hard. But it's not for everyone. It's not a joke. We're not flossing. No one here. I don't know. You've probably got nice cars and nice houses, but it's not multi-million pounds yet. And yeah, I haven't got my Lamborghini yet. The ideals that people are putting out, like today you will get uh, a client and then tomorrow you'll be rich. The hustle, you don't stop working ever. No. Um, ever. And I started actually working for myself officially in 2016. And from 2016 to 2018, when I was pretty much full time um, self employed, were two of the most stressful. I don't think I stopped. I didn't stop. Even when I was on holiday, I went to New York. I was still writing CVs, like, because I was still on UK time. So I'd get up at like 5 a.m. or whatever because my body clock and I'd be like, oh, might as well do some work. <laughs> so entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. But I think what we've all talked about is the skills. The skills that you need are resilience and psychology tell, teaches us how to be resilient because the career not in and of itself is one of those things that is so long and so arduous that you have to be resilient mm. by hook or by crook. Number two, patience. Um, you're not going to sell out in one city unless you're Emma because she's got amazing branding and if you want to sell out you can talk to her about how to do that but even still it's not easy to find out what are the components to make this hair oil or the skin oil whipped yet it's been there for a while because I don't yeah it's long but you can't be like that if you're an entrepreneur you have to just keep going so it's question and answer